Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History avec a Hemingway. Today we are talking about the Comtesse de Séjour. And I knew nothing about this woman. And Claudine has a lot of interesting things to tell us about her. She basically became like one of the first women to write fairy tales. Can I say that, yeah. Claudine? I can say um, But more, with more corporal punishment <laughs> is what I'm understanding. <laughs> but I'll let Claudine take it from here. Yeah, I just gave you a little rundown before this. I was like, well, this is basically what she did. So... Her real name was Sophie Rospachin. She was born in Russia, which is quite topical today. Um, She was born on August 1st, 1799. um, And she was born into a family of Russian nobility going all the way back to Genghis Khan. Which I was like, okay, I'm very good on my French history. Outside of that, not so great. (laughs) Russia, what? But yeah, I was like, he's Russian? Yeah, but, you know, I guess we I could look into that some more. But her father was um, Count Fyodor Rospachin. He was born in 1763, and he was in, uh, in, in lieutenant of the infantry and minister to Tsar Paul I. Um, he, Tsar Paul I, was also her godfather. And her mother, um, Catherine Pontesuave, was the bridesmaid to Catherine the Great. So, I love they had bridesmaids. Back I know. Then. I mean, it probably meant something different back then, but you know, it maybe it was like a lady of the you know lady in waiting kind of a thing. But she yeah. grew she grew up at this grand chateau estate outside of Moscow, and she was raised with like all of the other Russian aristocracy. She at the time learned five languages, including French. Holy crap! Well, also back then, you know, like little girls weren't raised to. I mean, that was basically the the most thing you were basically taught because little girls were especially in the aristocracy were basically going to just be married off to somebody so it's like yeah and they had you to all the languages yeah, you don't need to know um you know reading writing and arithmetic so <laughs> speak five different languages because we don't know which country we're going to sell Exa- you to. exactly uh but her childhood wasn't all about you know living in these fancy places and and you know, hanging out with princesses. Her mother was actually completely horrible to her. She would lock her up in her room for days, um, basically withholding food and water from her. She would beat her, humiliate her in public. So she was just this horrible, very horrible mother. 
mother. Yeah. In 1812, Napoleon his imperial army um, arrived in Russia and decided they were going, you know, they, he was just basically trying to take everything that he could and, you know, move along again, quite topical for this moment today. But her <laughs> father at the time was the governor of Moscow. And at the time he decided he to knowing that, you know, Napoleon was on his way, that he decided to evacuate the city of 270,000 people and set fire wow. to it. Oh yeah, that makes yeah, sense. So it was like, yeah, let's we'll just burn it down. So on September 14th, 1812, they set fire to it. It burned for four days. When wow. Napoleon arrived on that same day, the 14th, he found it just everything burning. 7,000 homes were destroyed, 4,000 stores, and total of three quarters of the city was completely destroyed in this fire. Wow, four days, four days of fire. Yeah, and Napoleon stayed there for a whole month because he was waiting for Alexander to come, thinking like, you know, I'm going to wait because back then, of course, you know, you didn't, you know, how information circulated. So he stayed there and wait, waited. So when Sophie and her father and their family came back to Moscow, uh, they weren't really um, looked at very lovingly because here all these people are like, what the heck, dude? Hey, burn my house. Burn my house and my business. We lost everything. So his family had to exile. They had to get out of there. And so they went to Poland and Germany, Italy, and they finally arrived in Paris in 1817. Because of course it had to be a Paris angle to the story. We weren't gonna stay in Russia. So um he they ended up coming into Paris and they were welcomed like uh, he was welcomed as like a hero. Because this campaign was in those end days of Napoleon's nail in the coffin, you know, like this was kind of when he was getting close to him having to leave. So the French people thought, hey, this is great. You helped get get it, you know, get rid of him for us. So they were, uh, you know, just people loved him. And so there was a huge community of Russians that the expats at the time in Paris. And so, of course, they, you know, like any of the expats now, everybody all kind of gloms together. So she was introduced um, that same year to a man named Eugène de Ségur. He was the grandson of the French ambassador to Russia, and he was the uh, great grandson of Louis the Sixteenth war minister, the Marshal de Ségur. And he was also um, the nephew of the aide-de-camp of Napoleon, who almost died in Moscow. He's like related to everyone important. Yeah. So, but it's like, I kind of wonder like the nephew would be like, the guy almost died in the fire. Like I would be like, Hey, we're going to marry you off now. Too. <laughs> <laughs> the one that started the, the guy fire. That started the fire that, you know, lit the match, but there was this whole little family of expats. And so she, Sophie ended up meeting um, Eugene um, through another woman named Sophie Sweshin. So she moved to Paris just before the, the year before in 1818 and held these popular salons on the Rue Saint-Dominique, um, where basically all the Russian expats had come. Um, Sophie, our Comtesse Sophie, married Eugène on July 13th, 1819. And at first it was pretty good. Things were okay. Um, but then it went downhill when he decided to still sleep with um, all the other ladies that he could get in touch with, including their maid. Oh, no. I feel like that would happen a lot. Uh, yeah, it did kind of happen. Because most of those things weren't, they didn't, you know, this is before romanticism that we just talked about last week. <laughs> this was... <laughs> 
Well, actually, it was about that same time. But he, you know, they <laughs> they married for, you know, aligning two families or money. They didn't marry for love back then. So, yeah, you think the girls would be cool with it because, like, just take a love or whatever. I know. Well, right? yeah, and there's not as much, you know, information about it. That's why we love talking about the courtesans because they were like, forget you. We're doing our own thing. Um, yeah. But in 1830, um, he was uh, named as one of the peers of the parliament. And so for face value, he had to keep things looking a little bit better at home. But they had, they must have spent some time together because they had quite a few kids. Um, but she spent a lot of her time at the Chateau de Nuet in Normandy that her father gave her um, in 1822. Um, they had eight kids. Whoa. So they had eight, at least eight times that they were together. Um, she, her one son, Louis Gaston de Séjour, um, went on to be a bishop um, and then will talk about him later. But she had quite a few health problems her entire life. A lot of it was brought on by her mother, um, things that she inherited from her mother, like horrible migraines. But then a lot of it was probably also from her husband and the different uh, venereal diseases that he would bring to their marriage, yeah. um, you know, horrible. yeah. So, um, he was away a lot. And as her, when her kids had grown up and then they started having kids, she decided to, um, start to write stories and she named them the new fairy tales and that she would share these, you know, she'd, she'd write these stories and read them to her grandchildren and give them to her children. And then she would share them with friends and the friends were all like, Hey, these are, these are really good. You need to share these. So they started getting passed around and other people started reading them because again, you know, we've talked about, um, you know, so a lot of these, uh, Madame de Sevigny, who, you know, she wrote those l amazing letters that are ended up becoming published. And because of those letters, we have, we know about this entire span of history of things that were happening in Paris, but women, you know, they couldn't really, they weren't really allowed to do these things. They couldn't publish these things under her, under their own names. But yeah. In October of 1855, she signed a contract for a thousand francs um, that her husband actually helped, you know, basically broker this deal. Um, he had met this gentleman that wanted to, um, had a small publishing house. It was the very first publishing house in all of France. He had this idea because he thought, hey, look at these train stations. There's people that are going to go sit on the train for hours. Why can't we sell books to them? That's so cool. Yeah. So he had this idea. He met Louis. Um, that was Louis Hachette was his name. He ended up meeting Eugène because Eugène was now the president of the Compagnie de Chemin, which was a rail company. He um, finally worked out this deal saying, OK, I will give you you could have a little like kiosk here at the train station. I'll give you the exclusive deal for this. And so and then he at the same time discovered these books that his wife had been writing. Um, Louis Hachette ended up setting up these things in the train station and um, it would be this exclusive deal. Gare de Lyon was the very first one. These stores, you probably have gone into these stores and everybody else that has gone into an airport, um, at least in Europe, um, is the base of the relay stores that are in the airports. What? And so as of 2020, there's over 1600 stores in four continents. That's so crazy. So they were the originators yeah. of the Relay yeah. store? And so that his original store ended up being turned into the name of it now is Relay. 
What was the original name? I don't know. I couldn't find that. It's probably Hachette because the publishing house is still in place. And it was the very first one in France. And Hachette Publishing is still in place. Interesting. So all these years later, over 100 years later, um, he ended up um, also creating these things called the Pink Library Collection. And they were for little kids, the specific books for kids um, from 6 to 12 years old. They are still today published as the Pink Library Collection. Nowadays, they're probably, I don't know, somebody probably changed the name to Orange or something. But (laughs) they, um, she worked out, Sophie had worked out a deal specifically with him that she kept the copyright. She owned the copyright and her name. They were published in her name and all the royalties were paid to her uh, completely unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great deal. So she was like amazing. There was women that came after her that it would have killed to have that idea and never could have even had anything published in her name. Um, In 1863, her husband died and in 1866, um, she became a Franciscan nun and went by the name of Sister Marie Francoise. She became a nun. She became a nun, but she still wrote. So she still was writing all the time um, and, and having these books put together. Her The subjects of her books, a lot of times, um, they, they had names of her children and her grandchildren. Um, but as sales started to decline, she had to sell the chateau that she had lived in. And she moved into 27 Rue Casimir-Pierre in the 7th. It's right next to um, behind the street where saint Clotilde, the beautiful church is. Um, and on February 1st, 1874, just 74 years old, she died. Um, there and then she was buried in Morbihan next to her son. Her heart was interred at the chapel of the visitation at number 110 Rue de Vaugirard, which right now, which is where her daughter served. Um, and I'll have a little thing about her children coming up. But right now, currently, it's been in the news because Gerard Depardieu is trying to save it because it's in pretty bad disrepair. And it's this very historic place. And so Gerard Depardieu is involved trying to save it. It's all comes full circle. It all comes together. Everything comes together. But that's so crazy. She lived a long time. She lived quite, I mean, 74 years old. I mean, we just talked last week about all these people that died at 30. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. And she found, she did this. She was 50 years old when she started writing. Wow. See, ladies, you can start at any you time. You can start any time. Um, her stories are still po- very popular today. Most, if you talk to any French people, they will know and and had remembered and read all these stories as they were growing up, even people that are, you know, 30 years old. Um, they were Most of them were based on her life experience and her childhood. And we, as we mentioned about her mother, some of the stories um, are a little bit harsh. <laughs> she was criticized sometimes. It's like, you know, maybe not, you know, making him a little bit too real. There's a big difference. There was something I just saw recently when you talk about, um, you know, French movies and American movies, and it kind of goes the same in some books. You know, American movies always have to end with the happy ending and, you know, the two people running across the bridge kissing and everything always has a happy ending. French movies don't. Like... <laughs> Nope. No, there's like a lot of times there's no happy ending. They're not the good guy is not going to kill the bad guy like that. And sometimes that's how it is with um, with the stories and even children's stories. It's just kind of like, yeah, guess what, kid? It's not all great. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to real life. I I think it's better. I think it's better. There's there's no Prince Charming, sweetie pie. Like. (laughs) 
<laughs> your life's going to suck and everybody dies. I'm going to put a glass shoe on your foot and next thing you know, everything's okay. But so she, you know, a lot of the stories um, sometimes were kind of harsh. Um, her most popular series of stories were about a little girl named Sophie which was her name. Um, and most of it was based on her life. Sophie was this very headstrong little girl. Um, her father was away a lot. So she was home with her mother and she would get bored. They lived out in this chateau in the country. And so she would be playing with her cousin Paul a lot and two neighbor girls. And she was always just doing all these little things to just get him, get, herself in trouble. One day she made uh, tea for Paul and her other little friends. And she went and filled up the tea teapot with the dog's water. So it had grass and who knows what other gross things floating in it. And then mm -hmm. she went to her chalkboard and scooped all of the chalk into it, uh, into a bowl to say that it was sugar. And so, you know, these little kids drink it and, uh, you know, think it's just disgusting. Um, I once did that to my sister. Well, I did it to a few times to my sister with a, a sand milkshake. And then my gra grandpa would bang on the window and I'd get in big trouble. But she, <laughs> she still, you know, my nieces and nephew love for me to tell them that story. But she was always up to trouble. She was this, a total little brat. Um, you know, she had her, her doll that she loved so much and left it sitting in the sun and it's, it's eyes like melted. Her mom had, um, goldfish that her mom just thought these, you know, these beautiful goldfish were her, like, you know, her pets, they were her favorite thing. And they, um, would carry the pet, the goldfish bowl outside to like set it in the garden when they were all out there enjoying the garden. And one day Sophie, um, had received a, like a little, like, you know, like a switchblade, like a little like Swiss army kind of a knife from her father. And she decided she was going to make fish for her doll. And so she scoops the goldfish out of the bowl and like is cutting them up. And then, oh, and then her mother's God. like, where are my fish? Like freaking out. <laughs> so she was always up to all sorts of trouble. Her mom was given this beautiful like pearl handled toiletry kit that had, you know, all of these beautiful pearl handled brushes and scissors and stuff. And she decided they were pretty and she wanted them. So she took them. Um, her parents then decided in the story that they're going to go off to visit America. Well, they were um, on the ship and they um, ended up, you know, the sea was bad and wave comes and gets them. Their mother was lost at sea. She and her father, you know, clung on to something and, and was saved. Thank goodness this wasn't last week's raft of the Medusa, right? And <laughs> so she ended up, they, they ended up surviving, but her father ended up, you know, he had issues from it. He ended up getting kind of sick, but he remarried. His second wife was horrible. So Sophie um, returns to France with this second wife because her father dies and they go to the family chateau and she was horrible. Like, so basically the character of the stepmom was Sophie's mom in real life, like, cause she would beat her and hit her. And, and luckily there was two little, um, a neighbor family that had little girls that kind of were showed her that, you know, this is love and you can be, you know, this is how a family is supposed to be. So at the very end of all of those horrible things, <laughs> there was a good um, little moral to it. But the the stories have been repurposed and um, over time, um, her own children even actually were like, "These are kind of harsh, mom." You know, you got it. You <laughs> and her children after she died were involved in like her, you know keeping her collection and her memory. But they have the 
It's been made into Sophie has been made into TV series and movies um, in 1946, 1979. And as recently as 2016 was still a movie. And people like when I was looking this up and I actually watched it um, and the cutting up the fish was kind of like, ew, this is gross. Like the little goldfish, <laughs> but they, um, they ended up at the time, like they were huge. And people, even like when I was searching for them online, people were like, I love those books. Those are my favorite books. I always read those all the time. Um, so she wrote over 18 books and then also her letters were published later. Um, and, you know, like I said, the characters and the names and the books were named after her children and her grandchildren, which I'm sure was quite special for them. Um, of her children, um, Louis Gaston was the one that became a Catholic diplomat. He worked in the church, but he ended up becoming blind. He, what? yeah, I couldn't find out why he was blind though. Um, but he had worked, he would negotiate it for Napoleon III in Rome. And there's a plaque yeah. dedicated to him in the uh, St. Thomas de Caen church that's right off of the Boulevard Saint Germain, uh, which I remember seeing that. And then I was like, wait a minute, now it all comes together. But he was also a what? writer. Um, her daughter, Nath Natalie, was also, um, she w did some, she wrote a little bit, but she was mostly known because she was a lady of the palace for Eugenie, who was the wife of Napoleon III that we've talked about before. Um, Anatole was a mayor and a councilman. His uh, son and uh, was a amazing French historian that we know today. Her other son, Edgar Adolf, was a diplomat and he won the Legion of Honor. And then her daughter, wow. Olga, was also a woman of letters, is what they were always called back then instead of a writer. I think from now on, you and I should be like, we are the ladies of the letters. <laughs> I wanted you to say a lady of the night for some reason. A lady of the night. <laughs> well, all of our uh, favorite people are. Um, yeah, seriously. And Louis Gaston is such a French name. Right? Every time you say it, I'm like, that could Louis not be Gaston. anymore. Isn't that like the name of the, like, it, oh, Gaston. Bad guy. In, the bad guy in Beauty yeah, and the Beast. Uh, I can hear the Gaston um, in yeah. my head. But in um, Olga, you know, she wrote children's stories of her own. Um, but in the Jardin de Luxembourg, and this is how I first found out about her. I didn't know about her. I had never heard about her. But when I was doing research um, on the Jardin de Luxembourg, because there's a 110 statues in there. And of course, me being me, I need to know what every single one of them is and why. Um, and so in the very southwest corner, there's a bust of her that's on a tall pillar. And it's kind of buried back in the bushes like I mean not far back but you know most of them are like in, most of the statues are kind of like in the middle of the grass and but this one's kind of sits back um it's definitely a bust of her when she's quite old um but it was done and uh by Jean Boucher and it was inaugurated in 1910 whoa so she it's been there for quite a long time and that was she died in 1874 that's so cool. I have to go find it. So, and there's the plaque on the house where she lived. Um, that's right by Saint Clotilde. Um, that that's where she died. But she, you know, like it's one of those things. Like you know, a lot of children in America they know Aesop's Fables, but French children all know Jean de La Fontaine. They all know Comtesse de Séjour. Like these are all the you know that's the equivalent of the things that some of the things that you had growing up in the U S but it was also their own version of it um, in France. And it just was sometimes a little, you know, had more of a story to it. <laughs> that explains French people. You feeding them these horrible tales of childhood. 
I know, but I kind of think it's better. Like I've told my nieces and nephews where they're like, I just want to be older. I'm like, no, you don't. Right now it's pretty good. Somebody pays for you. They feed you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, it's horrendous. Because we always wanted to be grow up and be older and be an adult. And then it was just kind of like, hey, it's not always all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> It sucks. You got to get a job. Yeah, and they get to, you know, they get to learn those things a little bit more like this is just how, but it is probably why sometimes they're a little bit more pessimistic about things. A little more serious, a little more. I know. Less happy endings. Yeah, maybe they may be a little good mix of some happy endings in there too. Sounds like her kids all did really yeah, well for Yeah, all of her kids did really well. I'll have to see if I could find anything else. I searched specifically for a while to see why it was that he was blind, but um, I couldn't really find anything. But, you know, he still he was that's when he negotiated um, for Napoleon III in Rome and did some other things. He that's was after he was blind. So he, um, you know, obviously, I'm guessing his writing career maybe started before that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you have to see to write? You can just like. Dictate, I guess maybe? so. Yeah, maybe you just dictated it to somebody. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys all learned something new today and go over to ClaudineHemingway.com to get more information and pictures and all kinds of fun history. And join Claudine for her live tours every Sunday, live virtual tours. That information's on her website as well. And also, Claudine plans travel for you to France. So contact her today for travel planning or take a tour with her when you're in Paris. She loves giving tours in person and not just of the Louvre of all of Paris, all of France, wherever you want to go. Hang out with Claudia. <laughs> Everywhere. Yes. In the bushes. With the tiger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and don't forget to tune in next week, guys. Thank you for listening to Paris History Effect A Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you can always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.